So as I mentioned earlier, today's the first Sunday of Christmas, Bob. But even though, even though it's Christmas season, I want to go back a few weeks. I want to go back to the season of Advent because there was, well, there's actually a couple weeks that we didn't get to talk about. Uh, we didn't get to talk about week three. We didn't get to talk about week four. I want to go back to week three. And if you guys remember correctly, the, the, the message or the theme of that when we did the, ad, the uh, candle lighting and we did the readings was the theme of joy. The theme of joy. And I think that's, you know, very applicable still for the Christmas season, not just the Advent season, because this is a joyous time. Again, this is a celebratory time when we remember the birth, the, uh, the immaculate conception, literally of Christ on earth, literally of God on earth in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. That is a joyous time. That's a joyous thing to, 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 uh, to mark our Christian faith, not just for one day, but 365 years. Going back to Advent, though, the third Sunday of Advent is uh, sometimes referred to as Godet Sunday. And the word Godet is a Latin word, and it basically, once again, means rejoice. It means to rejoice. That Sunday, we focus primarily on the joy that we all experience, or that we all can experience, which is marked by the healing, by the healing that's brought by Jesus Christ. Specifically, that's brought to us simply in the knowledge and the acknowledgement that Jesus truly is who he says he is. I think a lot of us, even Christians, kind of forget that sometimes. That Jesus really was who he says he is. Let's take a look at today's scripture and he, let's read how he himself put it. It's in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. And it's just a few verses, verses 2 through 6. If you have a Bible, you can check it out there. If not, you can follow along on our screen up here. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background or a little bit of uh, recollection in regards to what's going on in the Scripture after we read it. Starting in verse 2, and this is John the Baptist the Scripture is referring to. <clears throat> when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples, his disciples being the disciples of John the Baptist, not Christ. He sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So Jesus replied, You go back and you report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the gospel or the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And that's the word of God for the people of God. Real quick, go, but we'll go back to verse 2, or uh, week 2 of Advent, rather, where we got introduced to John the Baptist. If you guys remember right, John, uh, the primary theme of that week was the idea of repentance, because that's what John the Baptist came preaching. He came preaching a gospel of repentance and a baptism of repentance, for the forgiveness of our sins. And John the Baptist, as we know, as we read about, if you've been in the church any, any amount of time, you've ever heard anything about John the Baptist, he was kind of a fiery guy. He was kind of a wild guy. Uh, but that was his message. He preached repentance and, and baptism for salvation. And we got introduced to him as he announced the coming of Jesus Christ. I told you guys that John and, and Christ were related, actually. They were cousins. 
They, uh, John was actually about, about six months older than Christ. But he was the one to announce the coming of the Messiah. Okay? And uh, again, just to repeat a little bit, God had been silent to the nation of Israel for a very long time. He'd been silent for about 400 years where the Old Testament cuts off nothing. The world hears nothing from God for four centuries until John the Baptist burst on the scene. He is the next prophet that they hear from. After 400 years of nothing, after 400 years of absolute silence from God, John the Baptist bursts onto the scene and he announces the coming of the Messiah, preaching a gospel of baptism and repentance for the forgiveness of sins, particularly repentance, repentance, repentance. Major theme, the theme for week two of Advent. In our scriptures today, we fast forward a little bit and we can see that John the Baptist is in prison. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop on why John the Baptist is in prison. Remember that I told you that John the Baptist was a fiery guy. He was kind of a wild guy. John the Baptist did not mince words, and as we would say today, John the Baptist did not hold anything back. The reason that John the Baptist was in prison is because he confronted a guy by the name of King Herod. King Herod had divorced his wife, and he had remarried to his sister-in-law which was illegal under Jewish law, and John the Baptist condemned him for it. In response, Herod puts him in prison. Of course, a lot of us know the rest of the story. He's eventually beheaded at the request of Herod's wife and daughter, stepdaughter. So nonetheless, that's why he's in prison today. And he asked this question. In speaking to his disciples, again, the disciples who followed John. Go to Jesus and ask him this. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who's to come? Y'all go ask Jesus, are you the one to come? Are you, are you the Messiah? Or should we expect someone else? Isn't that a weird question? For John the Baptist, this fiery prophet who absolutely had no doubt not too long ago that Jesus is who he says he is? Kind of an odd question for him to ask. The thing is, we don't know why John asked this question or why John tells his disciples to go ask this question. We can, we can speculate a little bit, but the thing is, the scripture doesn't tell us why he asked this question. And I think that's really important. Why would he ask Jesus this? Why would, he, why would he ask this of Jesus? Is he having doubts? A lot of people believe, yeah, John the Baptist was having doubts. Here he is in prison. An uncomfortable situation, to say the least. The thing about biblical interpretation is... We have to be very, very careful about reading stuff into the text that isn't there. We need to be very, very careful about reading people's feelings and people's motivations when they are not clearly revealed to us. We don't know what John the Baptist's motivation is. And there's a lot of speculation out there. Some say he was having doubts, and that's why he asked this question. Some believe it was for the benefit of his own disciples that no, John the Baptist wasn't having doubts, but his, those people that followed him were having doubts. 
So John's going to go send them to ask this question so, they'll, so they won't doubt any longer. You see what I'm saying? There's all kind of things that could be happening here. Nonetheless, somebody's having doubts. Nonetheless, somebody's having doubts about something, whether it's John's disciples, whether it's him. We really don't know. Because you see, Christ didn't look like anything they expected. And I've talked to you guys a little bit about this. I think I may have even mentioned it <coughs> Christmas Eve. Jesus did not look like what they were expecting him to look like. This Messiah did not come talking and acting and being like they expected and like they wanted him to be. They expected a major political figure, or they expected a major military figure who was going to lead them into battle and overthrow this Roman occupation that they were experiencing. Christ didn't look anything like that. John the Baptist is this fiery preacher, preaching repentance, hardcore repentance. Jesus is a little bit different than John the Baptist is. They expected him to fulfill a particular role that they had made up in their heads, and he wasn't doing it. Instead, Christ came preaching, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. He called his disciples to love their enemies. And he warned them not to judge other people. These teachings probably seemed weak by comparison to John the Baptist. And the, what they were anticipating, or what they were hoping for, in the Messiah. So again, we don't know why John asked this question, but nonetheless, he asked it. Go back and ask Jesus, are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? Here's how Jesus responds. And in this response, he is quoting, or using, not, not word for word, but he's using language out of the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied that these things would occur. So Jesus goes back and he uses some of this language from the prophet. He says, you go back and you tell John this. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news or the gospel is proclaimed to the poor. You go back and you tell John that. Is that enough evidence for you? Is that enough evidence for John? Is that enough evidence for the disciples of John the Baptist? You go back and you say that the blind see, the lame are walking, those who have leprosy. Leprosy, by the way, was, a, was, was also another word basically for a lot of different diseases, not just, le not just leprosy itself. Those who have diseases are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news, the gospel is proclaimed to the poor. That's the evidence I've got. That's what Isaiah said was coming with the Messiah. That's what I'm bringing to the world. That's what you're seeing. That's what you're witnessing. Is that enough evidence for you? Consider the evidence, Jesus says. What do you see? What do you hear? Is that enough evidence for you? The evidence produced by Christ left no doubt who he was. The evidence produced by Jesus, the physical evidence, the tangible, this was stuff that you could see, that you could touch, that you could smell, that you could hear, that you could witness. The evidence left no doubt who Christ was, who Christ remains to be, who Christ is. He is the Messiah. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is, folks. Don't ever forget that. And again, I'm going to say it one more time. Even Christians have a tendency to forget this. 
even Christians have a tendency to forget that Christ truly is the Messiah, that Christ truly was, did truly work miracles, that Christ truly is who he says he is. You see, Christianity, <clears throat> Christianity is a lot different than pretty much any other world religion that I can think of in one way. In one way, Christianity is different. than any other world religion that I can think of. Christianity contains a lot of teaching. Christianity contains a lot of teaching. That's what we do every Sunday. That's what we do on Sunday mornings in school. That's what we do Wednesday night in our Bible studies. Christianity contains a lot of teaching, but its foundation, its foundation is not teaching. Okay? There's a lot of commandments. Commandments are important, but its foundation is not commandments do this do that all of that's very important but that's not where it begins that's not what it's built on Christianity reveals truth Christianity reveals truth to us it reveals to us who God is what the will of God is those types of things but it's not built solely on truths very important once again contains a lot of truth that we need to take in, work on, build on. But that's not foundationally what it's about. We have spiritual experiences through Christianity, but Christianity is not built foundationally on spiritual experiences. And this is what makes it different than every other religion that I can think of anyway. Christianity is first and foremost built on a person. There would be no Christianity if it were not for Christ. Okay? First and foremost, Christianity is built on a person, and that person's name is Jesus Christ. That person's name is Jesus Christ, who came to this earth in the form of a helpless infant. We talked about that Christmas Eve the humility of God that he would not come as a warrior but a helpless infant who was born to a poor child in poor circumstances in a in a in a environment that was suited more for animals than it was a human being the humility of God Jesus Christ God incarnated on earth in the form of his son Jesus Christ fully human fully divine. That should blow our minds, folks, and I think I've said that about three times in a row since I've been behind the pulpit. It should blow our minds that God humbled himself so much that he sent his son in a form of humility that he did. From his birth all the way till his death. He lived this life of absolute humility. Christianity is built first and foremost on a person not on the teachings of Christ even, and y'all know that I love teaching and preaching on the teachings of Christ. Not on his teaching, not on good deeds, although these are very important, but it's built on his person. This should bring us joy, folks. You go tell John that I am who I said that I am. Here's the evidence. See it, smell it, taste it, feel it. I am who I say I am. Christianity, Jesus Christ, brings us provides us that joy, that love, that peace that we talk about during the Advent season. 
Jesus himself. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We recite every now and then we recite the Apostles' Creed, something we call the Apostles' Creed. In one some way, shape, or form, the Apostles' Creed is actually older than the New Testament, the New Testament compilation anyway. And we say this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Jesus, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was what? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified on a cross. He died. He was buried. And three days later, he came and he was raised from the dead. That is somebody worth worshiping. Who is Jesus Christ? There's another creed of the church. It's called the Nicene Creed. It was developed a little bit later, and that and the Bible or the New Testament compilation are about the same age. You can find the Nicene Creed. Go ahead and do this. You can find the Nicene Creed in your hymnal that's right in front of you that we rarely pick up. It's on page 880, and it goes even a little bit deeper. Who is this Jesus that we talk about? Who is this Jesus that we purportedly worship? Who is this Jesus, 880, second paragraph, says, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten by the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. Through Jesus Christ, all things were made. You ever thought about that? Y'all realize that Jesus was not created, that he has always been you realize that Jesus was part of the creation story? He's always been there with God, folks. He wasn't a creation. That's our, that's our doctrine of the true trinity. Jesus has always been and always will be. Through him all things are made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. He became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death. He was buried. On the third day, he rose for again. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. Now, that's somebody worth worshiping to me. Jesus is who he says he is. That is the joy that we have. That's the hope that we have. That's the peace that we have. That is the source, I wish we didn't get rid of the Advent wreath just yet, of love. What is the source of our joy, our peace, our hope, our love? A person, Jesus Christ. Jesus is who he says he is. He's our Savior and Lord. Simply that acknowledgement. That acknowledgement brings that healing. It brings that joy. It brings that peace. And it brings that love that we so, so desire. And that we so, so, so desperately seek. It's available to us. It's available to us in this life. It's available to us in the life to come. Why do so many people suffer out there, folks? Why do so many people out there suffer? And I was one of them for a long, long time. Why do so many people suffer spiritually? Because they're looking for happiness and joy and peace and hope and love in a place that they're not going to get it. God cannot give these things. God, Jesus, cannot give us joy, hope, peace, and love outside of himself because outside of him it does not exist yet we seek it in other places we try everything in the world 
to attain these things. Oh, every person on the face of the earth who has been, who has ever been, who is and whoever will be, wants to be loved. I don't care who you are. They want to experience love. Everybody wants a little peace in their life, a little hope, a little joy. But we seek it in the wrong places so often, and yet it is so, so very simple. It's all available in the person, our starting point, our source of hope, Jesus Christ, who loves us so much, who loves us so, so very much. And I know that may sound trite, that may sound cliche, but that's the foundation of Christianity. The very foundation is, yes, there is a God. There is a Holy Spirit. There is a Jesus Christ who once came down here in the form of a human being 2,000 years ago and loved us like nobody ever has or ever will. The love of Jesus Christ is real. It's real. It's real. And it's our source of hope, joy, peace, love. I'll finish up by telling you a story about the love of Christ about Christianity and our foundations. In the mid-20th century, ish, there was a, uh, there was a Protestant theologian by the name of Karl Barth he was uh, he was Swiss. He was he was a Swiss theologian, and he was very very smart. To say that he was very very smart would be a gross 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 understatement. Karl Barth undoubtedly one of the most influential theologians, Protestant theologians, in the twentieth century. I would go so far to say he was probably the most influential Protestant theologian for that century. As far as his teachings, he taught so much about Jesus and the things that he believed, things that he professed. And, and I, don't, I don't, you know, just across the board, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, non-denominational people, Pentecostal, whatever, he was a huge, I can't overstate that, influence in the Protestant church and in, in, in our theology and our understanding of doctrine. He was big. Karl Barth was uh, doing a lecture one time in Chicago. He was at a, he was at a, uh, I can't remember if it was a seminary or, or, or an undergraduate college, what have you. <clears throat> but he was giving a lecture at this college and when he finished the lecture, as, as you see so many people do after these things, he, he asked, or he allowed the students to ask him questions. One of the students raised his hand. And his question was basically this, you know, Dr. Bart, of all your, and, and he was somewhat older at this point, of all your years of study, of all your knowledge that you have acquired, over the decades, all the theology that you have uncovered, all the doctrinal uh, uh, understanding that you have worked on, out of all that, what would you say is the most important thing that you can tell us? What's the most important thing that you can tell us about Christianity 
through all of your understanding, through all of your vast knowledge, how would you sum up your entire theology? How would you sum up your entire theology? Kevin, you know what he said? This learned man, this great academic. How would you sum up everything you know, Dr. Bart? Carl Bart said, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Yes, he does. <laughs> Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Christ this morning. We thank you so much for his birth. We thank you so much, God, that you loved us as much as you have loved us. Dear Lord, help us to recognize this in this Christmas season. Help us, God, to go out there and to be the light of Christ for the world. Help us to go out there and to spread the light of Christ to the world. For your glory, for the good of every life that we touch, we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.